We open the scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A passage which the consistory chose for family visitation this year. So we're going to draw from the whole chapter this evening, but for our text we'll, we'll focus on verses 12 through 14. So let's read the whole chapter together. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, 
and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Here we end our reading. Verses 12 through 14. We'll focus on a little more closely this evening. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Beloved in the Lord, since it wasn't too long ago that we spent quite a bit of time in the very next chapter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, very likely we're familiar still with the context of the passage that we just read. You'll recall that the Apostle Paul in the epistle to the Corinthians, the first epistle, addressed various issues that existed in the church in Corinth. True Christian congregation, a local congregation that God had blessed with many wonderful gifts and yet a congregation that had its problems. And one of the outstanding problems in the church of Corinth was a certain division that existed among the members. And that division revolved around spiritual gifts. And that's really what chapter 12 is addressing. You see that at the, in the opening verses of the chapter as well as the end of the chapter. Paul is speaking about spiritual gifts. And the kind of spiritual gifts he's talking about here are not the, the blessings of salvation which every true Christian possesses equally. Such things as regeneration, justification, sanctification and the like. But the apostle is talking about certain other gifts that the Spirit distributes severally. That is, he gives certain gifts to this member of the church, other gifts to that member. He gives gifts in one degree to this person and in a different degree to that person. And all of that according to his wisdom for the good and the upbuilding of the whole congregation. In Corinth, certain gifts, you remember, were especially prized. The Corinthians were very, very impressed with that particular gift which the Spirit gave during the apostolic age of speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And they had a tendency to prize and to elevate those gifts so highly that those who possessed those gifts saw themselves as a little bit better than the others in the congregation. And those who did not possess those certain gifts which the congregation esteemed most highly thought themselves to be less. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is giving God's answer to that wrong thinking and that division that existed in that congregation. And his correction, the Lord's correction here in this chapter, while it focuses on spiritual gifts, is instruction with the broadest application. Application that's broad enough to touch upon the entirety of our life as a congregation. 
And God's remedy to that wrong thinking and that wrong division is to set before us the beautiful reality that the church is the body of Christ. That's true of the, the universal church. The universal church is the body of Christ. The holy Catholic church made up of all believers throughout the ages and throughout the world. That is the body of Christ. But now, this is also true of a local congregation. 1 Corinthians is written to a local congregation. To the congregation in Corinth. And each local congregation is a complete manifestation of that universal body of Christ. So that it is very proper for us to speak about our congregation here as the body of Christ. And when we do that, we're not saying that no other people around the world belong to the body of Christ. But we're talking about the fact that as a local congregation, gathered by the Spirit, we manifest the body of Christ. We are many members who gather and are brought together as one and make up one body. And that figure of the body is so very rich in instruction and in application for us and for how we live together as a congregation. And that's really the focus we want to have this evening, the family visitation theme, which we're also going to use as the theme for the sermon, is living unified in the body of Christ. In this season of family visitation, we want to think deeply and think creatively, drawing from the scriptures and what the scriptures teach about the church and the life of the church. Think deeply and creatively about how we as a congregation Ought to live together in unity. But also tapping into. And enjoying. And putting into the service of God. And the whole body. The diversity that God gives us. For a body. Is a unity in which there is also. Marvelous diversity. Living unified. In the body of Christ. That's what we'll think about for a little while tonight. That's our theme. Living unified in the body of Christ. And we're going to unpack the theme actually under two points. The first two. I'm going to trim the third point because we can cover that ground in the applications in the first and second point. So just two. First, one unified body. And then secondly, many different members. Living unified in the body of Christ, one unified body, many different members. We have in this text, well this chapter really, one of the Bible's grandest figures, most beautiful pictures. Ye are the body of Christ. That's verse 27. And those words that the inspired apostle spoke to Corinth, the Spirit puts in the Bible, so that they come to you with the very same force tonight. Beloved, you are the body of Christ. What an amazing thing to think about as we reflect on this picture 
focusing our attention first on the, the picture itself. Our own human body. The human body is a miracle. It is a wonder of divine craftsmanship. It is the centerpiece of God's artistry in creation. The human body is a little universe in its own right. From the smallest cell to the interconnected parts that all work in cooperation with each other. What what stands out about our own human body is the deep unity that exists. As well as the vastest multiplicity. So many different parts. So many unique members. Existing in a vital connection with each other. So much so that these different members cannot live or function apart from the others. And yet together they compose one unified whole. A living, breathing, functioning, flourishing human being. One organism with so many parts. And the parts, big and small, are not interchangeable. They each do their own thing, their own important thing. And the parts are also indispensable. So that if the body loses a part, the body suffers. The human body... When each part works in concert with the others, not doing the job of other parts, not attacking other parts, but doing its own job as it was uniquely designed by its creator, the the human body works like a harmonious symphony in which every part is amazing and when all of the parts are together, the, the sum total is something greater than each of the parts are individually. Not a single part of the human body has a useless or an arbitrary task. From the internal organs to the outermost parts of the body. Inside the body the lungs breathe in the breath of life and exhale the exhaust of life. The heart pumps the life-giving blood across and through the most marvelous transportation network ever created. Reaching even the extremities of the body, your fingertips and your toes. Those internal organs do their God-appointed task. And everything to the outermost layer of your skin does what it is supposed to do for the good of the whole body. The skin providing a shield, as it were, from the outside world. From sickness. From things that would get into the body and do it harm. Amazing. The brain thinks and directs the motions of the members of the body. The eyes take in the world around it. The ears pick up sounds. The feet take the body from one place to another. And on and on we could go. It's it's a miracle, isn't it, our human bodies? But there's a greater miracle. And the greater miracle is the end of verse 12. First part describes... The body, as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body. There's our human body, but now this, so also is Christ. The first thing that's very striking about that verse is here, the Apostle Paul identifies Christ and his people in the closest possible way. So much so that 
He calls the church Christ. So is Christ. Now, the idea, of course, is not to remove the clear distinction between Christ and His people as if our personality and His personhood merge together and form some third thing. That's, of course, not the case. Christ and His people ever remain distinct persons. But what Paul is explaining here is that salvation by grace gathers us as God's people and brings us into the closest conceivable union with Christ so that He is our head and we are His members and we are vitally connected to Him so much so that when we look at the human body and we see the vital connection of all of the parts of that body which are yet one, we see something that God has designed to picture The Christian and his Christ. Not individually. The Christian people and their Christ. So also is Christ. We are the body of Christ. What theologians have called the mystical body of Christ. Emphasizing that we're not Jesus' flesh and blood body. Usually when we speak of Jesus' body... We're talking about his physical body, the human nature that he assumed as our incarnate Savior. But the church is his mystical body. His people united to him in the closest possible way by God's saving grace. So that we are one legal corporation with Christ. Him, Christ, our head representing us. And as one legal corporation with Christ, Christ's obedience can be imputed to us. His shed blood for our sins can cover us. He is our head and we are His members. But not just one legal corporation with Christ in a very real and mysterious way, one organism with Him. So tightly bound to Him are we as His people. Another image or picture that the Bible uses in John John 15 is that of The branch in the vine being engrafted into the vine so that branch becomes a part of the vine and the life of the vine courses into the branch and causes it to bear fruit. That's the the union with Christ that this familiar image in 1 Corinthians 12 is also teaching. We are one with Him. Individually, yes. As the individual Christian has personal union and communion with Christ. But together. Individually, yes, but individually doesn't mean in isolation. Together, we are a body. The body of Christ. And that is a most amazing miracle of divine design. Christian congregation is not a haphazard assembly of random parts. But is something put together by God in His providence. He brings together a whole bunch of different people. And He makes us one. And we possess the deepest kind of oneness that there is. It's a oneness Fundamentally, in our shared head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oneness 
in being united to Him, covered with His blood, clothed with His righteousness, a co-heir of the grace of life, destined for the same Father's house, for the same kingdom to come. It's the oneness rooted in Christ that is expressed in a shared faith, a shared commitment and love for the word of our God, a shared hope of a common glory and inheritance, a shared love for this God and for this Christ. The same kind of life, shared struggles as We go through this world as pilgrims and strangers. The shared struggle of the battle against sin. It's the deepest, most beautiful unity that there is. Unity with our Savior. And unity with one another. Because each one of us as believers is united to Him. Galatians 3.28 speaks of it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Or Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. What amazing unity. And now our text explains to us that this amazing unity, which is set before us in the image of the human body applied spiritually to the church as the body of Christ, this unity is fashioned by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. And that's especially what verse 13 is getting at. For by one Spirit. And you'll notice how that word one is emphasized over and over and over again through our text. By one Spirit we are, or are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Whether we be bond as a slave or free. And have been all made. To drink into one spirit. Really throughout the whole chapter. There's that marvelous interplay of one and many. One and all. Human beings form themselves into all different sorts of societies. Gatherings. Assemblies. People are united by the nation that they belong to. They might form a society that is based around a certain common cause or a shared interest. But none of these things are truly a body like we have described here in our text. This body of Christ which is the church is something only the Holy Spirit can put together. It is the Holy Spirit who puts the body of Christ together into a unified whole. The body of Christ is conceived in election. God chooses each and every one of his people to be his own. He gives them to Christ to be redeemed by his blood. And it is the Spirit who takes the elect and gathers them into 
The church in the world gathers them into a a local manifestation of that body of Christ. A local congregation. It's the Spirit, after all, that works that new birth of regeneration. It's the Spirit that calls forth faith in Christ. The Spirit is the author of Christian unity. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Here the the language is focusing more on the spiritual reality behind the sacrament of baptism. Focusing more on that than the, the outward sign itself. Remember, baptism is a sacrament, a visible sign and seal that represents, signifies and seals to us our new birth in Christ. Our incorporation into Christ. And that word incorporation really just means into a body. The Spirit incorporates us into Christ. Unites us to Him. And baptism is a picture of that. When a child or an adult is baptized, that visible sign and seal depicts many things, but one of the things that it depicts is the Spirit's unification of that person to their head, Jesus Christ. And by virtue of that same spiritual work, the unification of that person with the rest of the members of the body of Christ. By one Spirit, the unifying Spirit, we are all baptized, incorporated, born again into one body. Regardless of who we are, In this world, whether we are a Jew or a Gentile, whether we're bond or free, whether we're male or female, whether we're rich or poor, the text makes the very important point that those things which matter so much in this world are inconsequential, indeed irrelevant, when it comes to membership in the church, in the body of Christ. Those aren't things that God looks at. When he chooses, when he saves his people and incorporates them into the body of Christ. Those things don't matter, so to speak. They should not. Certainly shouldn't be things that cause division and strife. In fact, the text here shows just how amazing the unity of God's people is. In that Paul chooses two of the most Polar opposite categories of people here. One in the religious sphere and one in the the sphere of society. In the religious sphere, who were more different than the Jews and the Gentile Greeks of the pagan city of Corinth? Those are two extremes. But one spirit baptizes them into one body and takes these two extremes and puts them together into one One harmonious whole. In the society of Paul's day. What greater difference existed than the difference between a bondman and a freeman. A slave and a free person. 
And yet those differences which so defined society in that day and were the source of so much pain, so much misery those differences were, strife, bitterness, the Spirit working in the heart of an elect child over here and an elect child over here takes them into one. Joins two who otherwise would be enemies, would otherwise despise each other, That's the marvelous unity of the body of Christ. Verse 13 goes on. And have been all made to drink into one spirit. It's an interesting expression, isn't it? But but it fits The biblical imagery of the Holy Spirit. You think about Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out. How often do we we speak of the Spirit as being poured out like a waterfall. Filling God's people. Well here the emphasis of the text is upon the believer's personal receiving and appropriation of the gift of the Spirit. The believer drinks into the Spirit. He possesses the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in him or her. The Spirit is at work in him or her. The Spirit makes him or her his own temple. And drinking of the Spirit, we are refreshed, we are changed, we are nourished. We become a new creature. We all, every child of God, Whatever you are in the eyes of the world, whatever your standing is in society, doesn't matter. Every child of God, baptized into one body, made to drink into one spirit. Ultimately, the the Holy Spirit Himself is that unbreakable bond of unity that joins believers to Christ their head and joins us to one another. The Holy Spirit who is the bond of love within the triune life of God given to us by the ascended Christ becomes the bond between us and our covenant God and between Us as fellow members of that covenant. What a marvelous thing. Go back to verse 27. And let those words come with the force that Paul spoke them. This is you. You are this body of Christ. Our congregation, First Protestant Reformed Church of Holland, this is who we are. This is the unity that we have. It's real because it is the work of God's saving grace. We are a body. Christ is our head. And now to make some concluding applications here to the first point. This is what we want to think about this family visitation season. What does this mean for us here and now? 
as a congregation, how do we live out what we have been made by grace to be? How can we grow in our unity? Express our unity. Protect our unity. Cherish our unity. Be fruitful in our unity. The purpose of the sermon tonight isn't to give answers to all of those questions, but to prompt us to think. To talk about it as a family. And when the elders visit, to talk about it together as a congregation. Living unified in the body of Christ. While we're not going to give all of the answers to those questions, we can't possibly. A few few applications to get us started. Number one, let's rejoice in the fact of our unity and appreciate it. It's a wonder exceeding the miracle of our own human bodies. We look at the human body and we go, wow, what a wonder work of God. Look at this congregation and say, wow, with a bunch more exclamation marks. Look at this body. God put this together. How precious it is. Look what we have. Isn't it beautiful? Especially when times are tough, when there's lots of adversity can be very refreshing to refocus on what God has given, what God has created, what beauty and glory and life there is. Let's appreciate what God has given us as a congregation. And appreciating it, that, that can make us excited more and more to live out what we are meant to be as the body of Christ in our fellowship, in our life together, in our worship, in our navigating the naughty and difficult problems of our age and our present season, both living in the midst of this world and naughty and difficult problems within the church. Let's appreciate the wonder, the unity of the body of Christ. In the second place, let's dwell upon and focus upon what that unity especially consists of. Our unity is in Christ ultimately. He is our head. He is our Savior. And if we share Christ, we ultimately share everything. Christ is the core of Christian unity. It ought to be the core of our unity as a congregation. The basis of our fellowship. The reason for our love. The motivation for our service. Everything Christ. Christ. Who washed us with his blood. Filled us with his spirit. Unity is rooted in Christ. Rooted in Christ. It's grounded upon his word. Truth of his scriptures. A truth as we understand it, and as it's expressed in our Reformed confessions, there's unity, beautiful, beautiful unity, one faith, one hope in Christ. Thirdly, 
How do we translate that unity into action? How do we view one another in the body of Christ? The figure of this text helps us. As members of the same body, in a very real way we can say, we're members of each other. In fact, the Bible says that. Romans 12 verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Now you think about what that means. You can even use use the picture of marriage. In marriage, God calls the husband in Ephesians 5.29 No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. I'm not saying that we should see our unity in the body of Christ as marriage, as if we're all married to each other. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't teach that. But the point that is being made here is, as members of one body... We're all bone of Christ's bone and flesh of Christ's flesh, as Ephesians 5 verse 30 says. And we should look upon one another with the same tenderness and affection and care that we would look with towards our own flesh, cherishing and nourishing one another within the covenant community. That's a beautiful idea, isn't it? And then, oh, we're going to work hard to resolve whatever conflicts we might have. What a motive. Is there anything more mutually destructive than civil war within Christ's body? A body at war with itself? There's a good reason to really work out our disagreements in a godly, God-glorifying way when those disagreements arise. Our gifts. The skills God has given us. The spiritual gifts that we have. God has given each of us something. Why? To bless and build up the body. Does the heart beat just because it wants to beat? Of course not. Do the lungs breathe because they find breathing fun? Of course not. The heart beats and the lungs breathe for the sake of the whole body. Every part is needed. Every part is important. And I know this is a familiar passage. And it's a familiar application. So much so it can become kind of a cliche among Christians. But do we really believe that? Do we really believe it? Every part of the body is important. Every part of the body has been given gifts. Every part of the body has a function. Every part of the body should minister to the whole. Me. And my brother or sister over there. It's a beautiful thing. And just like the human body, if one part isn't working, the whole body can't work the way it's supposed to. 
And even if the human body finds a way to compensate, it's still not the same. So it is in the body of Christ. And so there's something else to think about. How can we as a congregation grow so that we can tap into the gifts of all of our members? How can we create more opportunities for members to employ their gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members? The church mustn't just be a place that we sit on Sunday. But the church should be a living body. And a living body is active, lively, and engaged in all sorts of good things. That is upbuilding for all the parts of the body. Another way to express our unity. Verses 25 and 26. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. As one commentator put it, in a healthy body there is a fellow feeling among the members of the body. Fellow believers have fellow feelings. When a part of the human body gets injured, all of the body's systems work together, spring to action, to help mend the injury. So it ought to be in the body of Christ. That doesn't mean we always have to be sticking our noses in everyone's business. We all understand proper boundaries. But it does mean that in the body of Christ, we shouldn't isolate ourselves into our own little groups or all by ourselves. But we should have our eyes open for those opportunities to lend a helping hand or to speak that word of encouragement or to give that card to someone who needs it right now. That's unity in the body of Christ. Lastly, living in the body of Christ, expressing that unity, members ought to be comfortable with each other. How, how dysfunctional would it be if in the human body, the parts of the body didn't like each other, were uncomfortable with each other, and tried to keep their distance from each other? The body wouldn't work well. The body of Christ is the covenant community. The covenant is friendship. Well, does it mean that every single person is every other person's best friend? That doesn't mean that we don't gravitate more to certain people that we're closer to. Of course, that's fine. That's good. That's healthy. The point is, within the body of Christ, we should be able to have a level of openness and honesty with one another so that we don't fear each other. We're able to show ourselves as we truly are, our weaknesses, our struggles, and be able to talk about those things with one another without fear of judgment or without fear of others in the church gossiping about us and our troubles. True love casts out fear. Do we fear each other? 
let this text help drive out that fear wherever it may be. And let it also encourage us not to give any of our fellow members of the body reason to fear. Reason to isolate themselves. Openness. Communion. That's unity being expressed. But now we must hasten on to the second concept that this text especially sets before us. The one body is made up of many members. And that's verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. We focused for a while on the oneness that we share. But that oneness has multiplicity to it. We are one, and yet our oneness does not erase our differences. The distinctions between us. There is unity, but there is diversity within that unity. And one of the essential things that this chapter would have us see is that diversity is actually essential for unity. There must be different members for the human body to exist. Different members are what make a body a body. Verse 19 says that. And if they were all one member, where were the body? If every part of the body were the same, the body would cease to exist. It would cease to function. It couldn't survive. And the Apostle Paul, starting in verse 15, helps us imagine that for a moment. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? You imagine that if the human body was just one giant eye, what a dysfunctional organism that would be. It could see, but it could do nothing else. And it would soon die. Or if the human body were just a bunch of eyes, or a bunch of ears, or a bunch of hands, there would be no body. It's the diversity, the different members, That together make the unified whole that lives and breathes and functions together. So the apostle makes these important remarks that no part of the body may we ever think as unnecessary. How foolish would it be for the eye to say To another part of the body. I don't need you because you're different. I can see and so I don't need you hand. I don't need you foot. We readily see the folly of that. God has designed the human body this way. That there is a mutual dependence. And cooperation among many different members. Each doing their God ordained work. That's what makes the body a body and a unity. And what is true of the human body is true of the body of Christ, is true of this congregation. 
We are one body. But our membership is diverse. And we might say we're not the most diverse congregation in the world. For very many of us, we have a very similar background. But nonetheless, we are diverse. Different people with different backgrounds, with different personalities, with different gifts, who have been led down life's pathway in a different way than the neighbor sitting next to me in the pew. We're different by divine design. And the unifying spirit is the author of these differences. The author of these diversities. Just as much as he is the author of the unity. He takes so many different people. And baptizes them into one body. He regenerates. He sanctifies. But his regeneration and his sanctification. His work doesn't erase the differences that exist among God's people. Rather than erasing them. He makes them serve. The health and the flourishing. Of the whole body. He most wisely brings different members together. He most wisely bestows different gifts. Upon different members. All of this. For the good of the whole. And so to apply this aspect of the text's instruction. In the first place. At the same time as we cherish the unity that we have. Cherish the diversity. And cultivate it. And use it. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity must not be understood in such a way that it is leveling out, erasing diversity. That is good diversity. When we speak of diversity, we're not talking about a diversity of an understanding of salvation. As if some believe salvation by grace and others should believe salvation by works. So that's fine. A, a, a theological diversity of that sort. That's not what we're talking about. But the kind of diversity that we see expressed here in 1 Corinthians 12. Which really is great diversity. Believers are not the same. Though our unity is rooted in Christ. Grounded in a common faith and commitment to the scripture. Unity does not mean that we think all the same way. That we view things the same way. That we see problems to be solved in the same way. Unity does not mean that we must all conform in exactly the same way to certain cultural expectations. Unity does not mean squelching diversity or seeing it as a threat. Or trying to erase all differences between Members of the church. Unity isn't jamming everyone into the same mold. Okay, this is what a good Christian family ideally ought to look like. This is what a good Protestant Reformed family looks like. And now everybody must fit this mold. And if they don't, I don't know what to do with you. 
That's, that's not unity. That's uniformity, which actually is a threat to the health of the body of Christ. Because the body needs its different members. The human body's life depends upon those differences. And what the different members bring to the whole. And that's important to see. Unity rooted in Christ, grounded in a common faith, in commitment to the core truths of Scripture. But beyond what Scripture requires, there is a wide difference among God's people in personality, in outlook, in thought, in gifts, in skills, and in so many other things. Difference. And that's good. And so living unified in the body of Christ means embracing those good God-given differences and being comfortable with them or working to be comfortable with them. That difference in perspective with that brother on the other side of the congregation. That very different background of that sister. Those very different life circumstances he or she is in. Those very different choices that that family has made in their Christian walk. In the raising of their children that are different from mine. But within the boundaries of Scripture. Instead of seeing those differences as a threat or as odd or not fitting a certain mold, the way we ought to look at that is say, that's a gift of God. In fact, I need that. When I see someone in the body of Christ who is very different from me, my reaction should not be pull back, but draw close because the Spirit has given to them something that I don't have or don't have in the same measure. And I need the other parts of the body. I don't need everyone to be just like me. Sometimes we can think that way. Church would be a lot better if it was just a bunch of people like me. Who think like me. That would be a detriment to the church. Thank God the body of Christ is not made up of a bunch of clones. And that our families aren't carbon copies of each other. Too much sameness squelches growth and life. But vibrant diversity within the unity stimulates growth, challenges us. Is an environment where iron will sharpen iron, where friends will strengthen and challenge and provoke one another unto growth in godliness. A well functioning and vigorous body. Let's take that application too. Maybe think of someone who's very different from you in the congregation. Say, I'm going to try to get to know that person. Know them better precisely because we are so different. Because that difference highlights the need we have for each other and highlights the goodness and wisdom of God in placing us both 
in the same body for the good of one another. When we have that outlook, how much more are we able to live out the unity that we have in the body of Christ? So what a vision, what a vision this chapter gives for the church and for our congregation, for our life together. Not just a vision though, it's a reality, a reality established by the Spirit, by the grace of God. This family visitation season, let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Let's think upon our strengths, think upon our weaknesses, give thanks For all of God's goodness to us. What he's given to us as a congregation. And also look at those areas where we need to grow. Or where we may need to reform. Let's strive together to live unified in the body of Christ. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father. We thank thee for this chapter of thy word. And for The message that it brings to us. We thank thee for the unity thou hast given. In Christ. In the faith. In the truth of the scriptures. We thank thee for the diversity that thou dost also give among our members. May these two things. Mutually strengthen each other. Help us as a congregation. To grow more and more in the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. And grant that the gifts and the diversity which thou hast given us may serve our continued growth together in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.